with the coach. Dear Twenty Radio, your gamers Welcome to Me and Steve Talk RPG, the podcast where me and my friend Steve try and help you get the most out of your role-playing game experience. Welcome back to Me and Steve Talk RPGs. Today we're going to uh, talk about the narrative dice system as used in Fantasy Flight Games Star Wars and Genesis RPG. And as we mentioned last episode, neither Steve nor I have any amount of experience with that, so we figured we'd bring in someone who's an expert. So we got a hold of GM Chris, who is, let's see, he's the host of the Order 66 podcast, which is dedicated to the Star Wars role-playing game. He is one of the, well, he's one of the hosts of that. He's one of the hosts of the Forge podcast, which is all about fan creation content for the Genesis RPG. He also happens to be a credited play tester for the Genesis core book. And let's see, what else does he do? Uh, lots of other things in the gaming industry. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's published a, a few books, written a couple of whole settings. So uh, without, without further ado, welcome to GM Chris. <laughs> Thanks guys. What is up gamer nation? It's good to be here. Steve, Steve, yes. not Steve. <laughs> no this is great guys thank you thank you for having me thank you for coming on you know we kind of we we figured you know the the narrative die system is is enough different you know i mean yes fate uses non-numeric dice but mm-hmm. and i i do know that there is a chart in the books where you can use numeric dice to play genesis and well i'm not any sort of engineer or whatever, I'm pretty good with math, but the thought of trying to do that makes my head hurt. So, I mean, (laughs) I guess my thing is, you know, like you clearly know this system very well inside and out, have been involved with it for years. And also now the current order 66 podcast, I guess you guys restarted your episode count when it transferred over to fantasy flight. Yeah. So like, I mean, we, we started order 66, like the, the, the podcast itself back in January of 2008. So like almost 13 years ago, but that was devoted when we first started to the, the D 20 based system that wizards of the coast was publishing at the time, which was called saga edition, star Wars saga edition. Mm-hmm. And we did a hundred and 60 some odd episodes of that. Um, and then we, we don't wizards of the coast lost the license to Star Wars, Fantasy Flight picked it up, and we we were trepidatious, but we started playtesting the new system when they came out with the beta, and we absolutely fell in love with it, and and happened to become friends with some of the folks at FFG at Fantasy Flight Games, and so we we were like, wow, we we believe in this system enough that we want to play it and we want to transition to it. So in in December of 2012, so you know, almost eight years ago. Yeah. We, we reset the, I mean, the old feed's still out there. You can still find all those saga edition episodes, mm-hmm. but um, we, we, we transitioned our main feed over with a brand new episode one start to the, the star Wars system by fantasy flight games, which to date uh, we have 131 episodes out plus a bunch of live plays. So 
Yeah. And I would also point out for anyone that did wants to dive into that, be prepared because, you know, our podcast and, and many podcasts are say an hour a week and some of them are two hours, we'll say, well, order 66. Um, and, and I was talking about this with someone and, and, and my hat's off to you for being as established as you are and everything, but I, you seem to break all the rules and yet do incredibly well because your episodes seem to come out somewhere between every two weeks to a month and a half and they're two and a half to four hours long. Yeah. Yeah. We're trying to get a lot better about that. Um, it's worse when you have guests on, we've been, we, we were very fortunate enough in our early, early years to because god i mean 13 years ago podcasting wasn't podcasting you know now now there's a lot of podcasts out there there weren't a whole lot back then oh and so yeah. we kind of we kind of we, we got fortunate enough to be one of the few casts that was devoted to star wars role-playing um the first podcast ever devoted to star wars role-playing but we we so as a result we we were we were fortunate enough to be able to make a lot of um friends uh working in the industry um and and a few others um, that have lent a, a lot of great guest spots and, and interview segments, which which can often really go long. But um, yeah, it's uh, we, we 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 do break all the podcast rules, uh, much to a lot of people's chagrin. Um, you know, but we 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 make the show we want to make, and it I don't know some pe- some people seem to like it, which is great. <laughs> oh, hey, that's that's the whole thing with gaming, right? If you have fun with it, and then cool, and if other people enjoy it too, even better. Now, just to to kind of back up even a little bit from that, though, how did you get into gaming initially? Oh man, um, so I must have been twelve years old. So I was I was um, I'm a I was I was a Boy Scout, um, mm-hmm. and I, I was I was literally I, I was I was a Cub Scout, and I had become a Boy Scout, and I was on my very first Boy Scout camping trip ever um, with uh, a whole bunch of guys that I did not know, um, nerdy me. And I was stuck in like a van with like 10 other kids, boys that I did not know. And I was sitting in the back of the van, just being quiet to myself and sheepishly reading this copy of The Hobbit that I'd read for probably the third, fourth, fifth, hundredth time. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And and there was this this older kid. He must have been maybe 14, maybe 15, who was in the seat in front of me. And he looked back at me and he went, hey, what are you reading? And do you remember these, do you guys have these memories from your childhood where it's, you ha- that are like, even now, decades later, they're these, th- these crystal clear memories that, that are etched in your brain forever, and you will always remember them. And, and, and that's what this is. And I felt this, this moment of shame and derision just wash over me. You know, I was preparing myself to get my butt kicked or get shoved into a locker, even though I was in a bus going to a camping trip. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, exactly. And, 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 but I, I, I remember feeling this intense heat and shame of my nerdiness and I showed him and he looked at me and he went, cool. And that <laughs> night he and four other guys pulled me into this tent <laughs> and introduced me to advanced Dungeons and Dragons second edition. Uh-huh. And we played all night. Um, I, um, uh, I, I, I rolled up a paladin whose name was, I, I still remember his name was Sir Fensible the Brash. And uh, he, we played all night. He died that night from a kobold spear thrust to the back just before the party got wiped by a beholder. Um, uh-huh. It was, yeah. That, so that was my, that was my introduction to role-playing and it, it became a, a full-on addiction from that point forward. That's fair. I was in my, my introduction was actually, well, I was in my freshman year of college and this guy I knew down the hall was like, hey, you want to come play this Star Wars game with us? And of course, now this nice. would have been 
90 West End West End Games D6 the, system. Yes, sir. Yep. This would have been winter of 94, 95. Probably like January of 95-ish. Yeah, it was West End and that's that's what I put and then on into Call of Cthulhu and then eventually into D&D, but yeah, I I started in the quote-unquote off systems. <laughs> and then I think I've told this before, but my introduction was 4th edition Dungeons and Dragons when I was about 15 and it was just encounters and I, I rolled up a character that just all we did was fight and so <laughs> how I've managed to stay in this hobby is amazing because that gets boring really fast <laughs> <laughs> well I think there's a for people that start off playing Dungeons and Dragons I mean there's an evolution that kind of almost happens to either potentially or not expose yourself to other role-playing systems out there. And sometimes you find things you really like and certain mechanics and styles of playing that you really like. And sometimes, which was very much the case for me with the narrative dice system with uh, FFG's star Wars system. And then, and then later Genesis, you find something that you've never experienced to that degree before. And it, it, it grabs a hold of you hard and, and, and shakes you like a dog toy, um, never letting you go. Uh, which is which is where I am right now. It it, it has consumed me. Mm-hmm. Well, that was one of the reasons that that I kind of wanted to get, bring you on is because you do have an extensive background with other systems. Not that that probably most mm-hmm. people who are into the FFG system don't, but you know, you clearly. I mean, you put out you know a couple hundred hours of podcast content alone using the old you know Wizards Star Wars systems, and then. Yep transferred into another system that you've put out you know and spent how many hours dedicated to more more than a few (laughs) (laughs) less than some but more than a few probably not less than a whole lot that haven't got paid for it let's put it that way (laughs) I'm, i'm willing to guess that let's anyway so i mean i guess you know where where do you think we should start you know i mean like i actually do i own a copy of the edge of the empire beginner box because i intend to run it yeah for for our group at some point but i have yet to actually crack it open you know i do have from from listening you know to to some of your shows and some of Hooli's shows before you and he were broadcasting together and as well as some other stuff i have a, a basic understanding of the dice system but but i think you probably know better than than at least either of us where to start in explaining it and and how it works and how it's different from the numbers that most people associate with rpgs yeah, um, the, the the hardest thing for most people to understand with the system, um, and honestly, it typically takes, in my experience, your average player about a session, one session, to be like, oh, I get it, okay? In terms of actually understanding the dice mechanics, most people will get it immediately after about an encounter. But but the, the fundamental difference is that D&D and, and most systems out there, whether they're based on a, on a D20 mechanic like you know current in the past two three versions of dungeons and dragons or or even even other systems that that use you know six-sided dice or things like that they're they, it's it's a numerical system meaning that you're 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 getting a bunch of dice together or one die and adding some stuff to it and you're rolling and you're going to end up with a total and you're trying to meet or beat or depending on the system in some cases roll underneath it doesn't matter a target number okay mm-hmm. and you either succeeded at what you're trying to do or you failed Okay, mm-hmm. that is most RPGs, and the thing is that that is in terms of game design, what's called a binary axis of resolution. Meaning, it doesn't matter how you get there; you're going to roll some numbers, 
And you're either going to succeed or you're going to fail at whatever the role is, whatever you're trying to do. What is What you have to understand first about the narrative dice system is it's very different. You are gathering a bunch of dice together and you are rolling them, but there's no numbers on them. Okay. And additionally, mm -hmm. there are two, some people would say three axes of six of axes of resolution in the system. There is, it's not just success or failure because we've all played RPGs or Dungeons and Dragons where it's like, you know, you, you, you plan something and it's huge. And I swing my sword at the dragon and I rolled a two. Um, yeah, I failed. And that's it. I'm done. Nothing else happens. I'm done. And, and yeah. we, we go to the next player. Um, with, with the narrative dice system, with the Star Wars system by FFG, now now Edge, and we can maybe talk about that because the, the these role-playing games now belong to a different studio um, as of this year. Um, mm. and, and then with Genesis as well, which uses the same core dice mechanic, you, you have two axes on the die. You have the ability to succeed or fail, and there are degrees of success and degrees of failure. But then you also have another axis, which is called advantage and threat. The bottom line is that when you roll, you have the ability to fail, but still make something cool happen. You also have the ability to succeed while still making something terrible happen. You also have the ability to fail while making something even more terrible fast happen and then succeed with something even greater happening and so on and so forth. So mm -hmm. what, what attracts me most to this system is you got to understand that rarely, rarely do you have a die roll where nothing happens. Even if you fail, there's still something interesting that's going to happen as a result of the dice you have rolled so that's the first thing you got to understand <laughs> yeah well like i said I, I i get that and i i find it very very interesting i guess it's just in a lot of ways the the concept of having so much come from the dice with with no numbers on them is a little daunting though at times like well okay so <laughs> this means this but but how do i know what yeah and, and and this this is where the actual mechanics of the dice come in so once you understand that core principle then you can talk about the dice and the dice th th there's a set of dice that you you have to play um there's there's some d12s there's some d8s there's some d6s okay instead of having numbers on them they have funny little symbols additionally you have two different categories of dice you have positive dice and you have negative dice the positive dice are in friendly happy colors like green and yellow and blue the negative dice are in evil dark colors <laughs> like like purple and red and black all right okay the positive dice there's one exception which we'll come to in a bit but the positive dice have two different symbols on them they have a symbol a special little symbol that's on some of the faces for success they have another special little symbol that's on some of the faces for advantage. The negative dice have the inverse symbols. They have little symbols on some of the faces for failure, and they have little symbols on some of the faces that equate to threat, which is the opposite of advantage. And what you do is, based on your character, if you're trying to do something like swing a sword or fire a blaster or cast a magic spell or hack a computer, you, based on your characteristics, you grab a pool of a certain number and amount of positive dice, okay, of certain types. Then the GM, the, the game master, based on the difficulty of what you're trying to do, will assign to that role a certain number and type of negative dice. So you grab the positive dice, the negative dice, you roll them all together, and then you just cancel out the symbols that cancel each other. So if I have 
you know, a success symbol and a failure symbol, those cancel each other out. So you just do cancellations until you're left with uncanceled results. And that's either going to be a number of successes or a number of failures. It's going to be also a number of advantage or a number of threat, depending on how your cancellations have, have happened. So if, if, you, if you have net successes, you've succeeded. Okay. If you have net failures, you've failed. Regardless of whether you've succeeded or failed, though, you will also have net either advantage or threat, which is that secondary axis. Okay, so you're you're Han Solo in Return of the Jedi, creeping through the forest uh, to try and 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 sneak up behind a scout trooper and brain him before he discovers your whole party. So you're rolling stealth. And you failed. You step on a twig, you get noticed. But Han rolled a whole bunch of advantage. Okay, so he failed, but something great happened. So at the same time, this, the scout trooper goes, what the? And Han takes that advantage to give himself bonuses to his next roll, which is to grab a heavy log next to the tree next to him and beat the stormtrooper with it. The, the scout trooper. Okay. <laughs> um, Fair enough. You know, uh, you, have, you have Luke Skywalker dragging princess leia through the first death star in a new hope and they're being chased by stormtroopers and they they come to this open room with a bridge that's not extended and the stormtroopers are coming and luke's player says i want to try and disable the door and so he rolls to do it and he succeeds he blasts the door and it slams shut and then and then leia's character player says all right we'll figure out a way to extend the bridge and uh, unfortunately luke's character rolled a bunch of threat on the prior roll. And so the GM goes, yeah, you closed the bridge, but you just blasted the controls. You have no, you closed the door, but you just blasted the, the controls. You have no way to extend the bridge. <laughs> All right. So it, mm-hmm. it's a way, it, it's just, it's a very dynamic way to represent multiple outcomes in a single role, if that makes sense. Yeah. It makes sense to me. It, it makes sense to me. I, I just, the one thing, and I guess I'll, I'll bring this up now, even though it's probably better, maybe, you know, we can put a pin in and answer it later. The one thing that, that I wonder, and because my exposure to this has been strictly in, in listening to podcasts, it seems like there is a decent amount of time spent at the table, not so much figuring out the cancellation, but in terms of, okay, so we're left with two success and three threat. What are we doing with the threat or the advantage or, yeah. or whatever yeah. the, and, and I was kind of curious as to, is that something that's being done because largely I've listened to like, um, the stuff that you recorded actually with, with GM Eric and his crew that we had on a couple of episodes ago, or some yeah. of the stuff that, that, that Hooli recorded that was fully intended to be more of a, a teaching experience about the system. And so I wonder, is that stuff that's being explained for the benefit of the audience, or is that still something that takes up? let's say it's not as quick moving as, you know, I'm guessing Savage Worlds is probably a bad example, but it's a notoriously <laughs> fast system to play. Yes, it is. It is. Um, it, it, it has to do with your experience level. So, and this is kind of what I was referring to earlier. Let's, let's start, when you talk about just understanding how the dice work and doing the cancellations, by the end of the first encounter, everyone at the table, 99% of people at the table, they get it. They understand completely. By the end of the first session, it becomes a millisecond process. You'd be surprised once you start playing. After you play one session 
of narrative dice, it's like doing addition in your head. You don't even think about it. You can do it in a heartbeat. It becomes the same way. I, I'm, I was at the point after a few games where I could just stare at a dice pool and just immediately do the cancellations. Your, your mm-hmm. brain will do it. Okay. It's a, it's actually a very easy thing for your brain to do and your brain just does it. Okay. So doing the cancellation, that's not that big a deal. And success and failure is very easy too. You don't have to think about that. You, you got net failure, you failed. You got net successes, you succeeded. Okay. That's really it. Now, now the advantage threat, that's where things can get a little a, a little time consuming at times. Now, one of the benefits of this is that when you're talking about threat and how it's assigned, that is always determined by the GM. Okay? So if you have mm-hmm. an experienced GM, like like I don't even need to think about it anymore. I might spend 5 seconds thinking about it and I'll go, mm, "Okay, this is how I'm this is how I'm going to apply it." Okay? Mm-hmm. The player is responsible for adjudicating advantage. They get to make suggestions. Now, in the book, one of the one one of the interesting things about the narrative dice system is they actually have a table, two tables, one for advantage and one for threat, that gives you all these mechanical suggestions. Okay, like you know things you can do with one advantage, things you can do with two advantage, things you can do with three advantage, um, things you could do with a triumph, and we haven't talked about triumph and despair yet. They're 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 like extra special success and failure symbols that are on those dice that uh, are the equivalent of critical hits and critical misses, basically. So the thing is. You can say, you know, I roll two advantage. That that equates to giving a blue boost die, which is like like the equivalent of a plus two bonus in Dungeons and Dragons. You know, I want to give a blue boost die to this player across the table from me for the next action they're about to perform. That's the mechanical benefit. And there's very few mechanical benefits these things actually provide. Narratively, it can be whatever the heck you want it to be. You know, I, I've had players say to me, oh, I got two advantage. Uh, uh, I, I don't know what to do with that. I was like, well, what do you want to do? What would your character do in the moment? Well, um, I, I missed with the attack roll, but I got two advantage. I don't know, can I like throw dirt in his eyes to, 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 to blind him temporarily? I'm like, that's phenomenal. That's a great idea. Okay, you spend your two advantage. You throw dirt in the guy's eyes. Mechanically, that's going to be a setback die, a black negative setback die, you know, another negative dice that he's going to have to add to the next check he makes. Okay, there, there's a very limited list of actual mechanical effects that come from the advantage and threat. It's just, you know, and, and, and as a GM, you have that list in your head. You can also have it in a GM screen in front of you and all the GM screens they produce. But how you represent that mechanic narratively is is infinite. And so as a GM, I always like to, to tell, ask the player, you know, don't don't think about dice. Don't think about numbers. Don't think about effect. What would you do narratively? And then, well, I throw dirt in his face. I, I, I want to, I want to shoot the chandelier and have it fall into the middle of the room. It's like, great, okay. This is the effect that will have, and as long as you keep the effect in line with the mechanic that's there in those tables, then you're golden. You're hunky dory. Now, it sounds to me though, like to a certain point, it actually is a system that not only encourages, but it effectively almost requires more buy-in from the players at the table. As opposed to just, okay, it's, they're, they're listening and I'm not saying they're not involved in, in more traditional games, but a lot of times I know, especially new players kind of feel like, well, I'm not going to say anything until I'm called on and it's my turn. And then, okay, tell me what to roll. Well, did I succeed? Okay. I do the thing I wanted to do. And now they sit back and, and be quiet and listen again, where it seems like this dice system really wants, once you as a player to be much more actively involved in describing the world than maybe the way the Dungeons and Dragons or 
or other more traditional game systems are typically played. So, Steve, I, I, I'm going to say that you're incorrect because you don't go far enough. You're being too tame. You say this system would like you to or this system. No, no, no. This system requires it. <laughs> you're, you, you are spot on. But I will go so far as to say this system doesn't work without that level of player engagement. In a game like, I, I hate to throw D&D under the bus because it's, it's the grandpappy, but in a game like Dungeons & Dragons or many other RPGs, it is very easy for a passive participant of a player, and we've all had them at our tables, to, to hide out in a game. You know, they're on their phone. They're doing whatever. They're not paying attention. But when you're like, hey, it's your turn the initiative order. I swing my axe. They roll the die. I fail. And they go back to their phone. Mm -hmm. This system doesn't work with that type of play style. It, it requires continual active player engagement. Yeah, I had gotten that impression. And like I said, I, I've experienced where we've had new player, newer players before at times where it's not that they're not paying attention. You know, it's like you just, your example now, they're, they're on their phone. No, they're not on their phone. They're, they're paying attention and, and they're involved in terms of their, their listening, but they aren't participating a lot, I guess. And I guess, so you're saying that this really requires participation from the whole table. It really, it really does. And, and what, what I've often found to be true, whether it's brand new players, whether it's a pug at a convention that I'm running, or new long-term players I'm introducing to the system who have prior RPG experience, even people that are commonly in their shells, just as even if they're paying attention and they're just, that's just natural, they're just a very introverted person. That's naturally who they are. They will come out for this game because the whole table ends up getting involved. It's amazing. When, when, you, when you have a scenario, especially where so much is up to narrative interpretation, you know, a good GM should encourage the whole table to make suggestions. And, and it, it really does result in a very large amount of party engagement, which is still what I think is the greatest benefit of this system. Oh, that's, that sounds really cool. I guess I would equate it to, you know, I have, on a time or two, tried to run a more sandboxy campaign with players that, for lack of a better word, weren't ready for that and didn't, didn't, were afraid to engage at the level of this thing is. And so we're going to do that. You know, they, they, so to speak, they don't want to be railroaded, but they want to be shown the tracks they can walk down. And it sounds like Genesis very much says, no, to a certain point, the players and the dice are driving the game more than it being a a pre-lined out plot by the GM. You're you're spot on because of the nature of the narrative dice. So one of the things we haven't talked about the the core role mechanics have to do with success and failure, and then this other axis of advantage and triumph. As I briefly mentioned before, you have this little tiny third axis as well, and it's called triumph and despair. There are on the on the d12s on both positive and negative, there is a special success symbol that is like a success, super success. It's called triumph. And there is conversely a special failure symbol that's like super failure and it's called despair. Okay. They're, they're like critical hits or critical failures basically. And they count as successes and failures for the purposes of cancellation. But if that symbol comes up, something crazy, stupidly awesome happens that is encounter changing. Okay, so if a player rolls a triumph on the positive dice and they get to decide how that's spent, it can change an entire encounter. I mean, you can do something simple with it, like critical hit. That, that mechanic does exist in this system. Or you can do something crazy like, you know, I, I short out the electrical system and close all the doors so no more reinforcements come in. I discover an escape hatch to get us out of here. 
And conversely, mm-hmm. with the despair, the GM can introduce those crazy, ridiculous plot elements that change the entire nature of an encounter. So when you bring that into the play, then seriously, adventures go off the rails at, at the drop of a hat. A, a good GM in this system has an outline, but the idea of a typical like Dungeons and Dragons module where it's almost scripted, it doesn't even work because your players will put things off the rails. And that's beautiful. That's the purpose of this system. Um, I've, I've run games where entire planned encounters have been skipped and the, the PCs have found a way around them because of clever usage of triumphs or tons of advantage. And that's great. <laughs> yeah. I actually really like listening to you talk about this. I really like that it is less of letting the GM decide uh, mechanically what happens but very much letting the gm decide narratively what happens and i think for a new gm that could actually be really beneficial because i know a lot of people i have a lot of people to talk to me and go i'm really afraid to get into dming or gming because i don't know what to do if they do this or do that and in this case it sounds like well roll the dice what happened react accordingly and yeah. and that actually sounds really nice for especially new new gms for the game you're, you're spot on and then if you really are a struggling gm you can use the dice in a more concrete manner to even inform your narration so to 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 dive a little deeper into the dice mechanic like most role-playing game systems or a lot of role-playing game systems um i'll, I'll point to dungeons and dragons as an example you know in dungeons and dragons which you two i know are familiar with you have you you have six characteristics you've got your brawn you've got your constitution your intelligence all those right mm-hmm. then you got a bunch of skills and you got different points in those skills right so you add up the modifier for your characteristic plus the modifier for your skills and that gives you a total number for that skill roll you know so you roll a d20 and you add that number okay you're with me so far right yep in this system you also have the equivalent of characteristics um they call them they they call them attributes and there are six of them and then you also have skills The, the the combination of those two numbers create your positive dice pool okay additionally you have these little D6s that have the positive symbols on them, and those are called boost die. Those represent circumstantial benefits. So if you take the time to aim, for example, is the, is the easy one I can give you. Um, but there, there's, a bunch of, there's a bunch of times. Now, conversely, when it comes to difficulties, the same circumstances are used to compile the difficulty dice, but so are negative consequences. Like there's a, a black D6 that has negative symbols on it, um, and those are called setback dice. So it's raining. You have poor visibility. The foe is behind cover. There's fog. Those just keep adding setback dice in. So when you roll all your dice, what you do is you start canceling from top to bottom. So you cancel out the high dice first, then the D8s, and then you're left. And if you have uncanceled results, whether it's success or failure, where do those live? Do they live on the D6s and you failed? Oh my gosh, you would have succeeded if it hadn't been for that heavy rain. Okay. The dice have literally informed you why you failed. Okay. Or succeeded. Does that make sense? There are a lot of GMs that don't do this, but many do. If you learn to read the dice that way, it can even help a newbie GM a lot because they, the dice can build the narrative for them, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. I've heard Hooley explain that on, on the Forge, where sometimes he's, he'll say that when he's at the table, when he's distributing, say, setback die, that he'll say, oh, it's raining heavily and just pushes the setback die into the pile for the player to roll. You know, and then depending, as you were just saying, you know, where those uncanceled symbols come up, that's the the thing that caused the complication. Am I understanding that correctly? 
That's precisely correct. And so then, then you're left with, if you wish to go that route, if I'm a new GM, it's like, God, how do I narrate this? Okay, well, he failed, and, and, and he had setback dice in there, so... Yeah, he failed because of the rain, you know, I mean, in your head. And then you can narrate appropriately. Okay. Do you have any more questions on, on this part of it, Steve? Because I was going to head no, I, down. I'm, on... Yeah, let's go ahead on into if you have a next section you want to talk about. Because I think that answers almost all of my questions regarding the narrative dice. I was worried a little bit looking at it and, and you know, listening to different actual plays. But it sounds like we would sort of talked about it before. But... I was a little bit worried that it would seem crunchy, but it sounds like once you get it rolling, it really doesn't feel crunchy. It's just a lot of dice hitting at the table at the same time. It's such a weird system. It How do, how do I put this? It reads crunchy and it plays creamy. Yeah. I, I From what I'm hearing you describe and how you're, how you're describing playing it, it definitely feels that way because it feels like from listening to it and listening to people talk about it and you guys talking about it on the forge it's it just seems like it was a roll a bunch of dice and now figure it out and that can be the that can be the like hallmark of a crunchy game but it it really seems like because of how the symbols work and everything it seems like it's really smooth and really simple to run yes yes there's a learning curve it is so different especially if you cut for most most players out there cut their teeth on D&D that's just a fact because it is the 800 pound gorilla in the industry and always has been and probably always will be and it it is it is such a divergent system from your your typical d20 which is a very crunchy system that there there can be a bit of a learning curve but for for players that latch onto that and really love the narrative experience man it's addictive <laughs> sounds cool and i've been curious about it for a while since i discovered well i think it was actually the dice pool is is where i kind of fell into it initially where i fell down the hole but what i wanted to kind of go to uh, a little bit next and uh, where i know it also kind of differs a little bit from from your traditional numeric systems where you have a, a target number is as a GM, how do you set the difficulty of a check? Like, a, okay, you've got positive and negative dice, but how do you know which ones to use? I guess maybe not even just for setting the difficulty of a check, but just in general. Okay. So we've got positive dice and negative dice. How do we know how many of what we're rolling for a given check? Sure. The, the book has, Phenomenal examples in the GM section where there there is such a thing as having no difficulty for what's called a simple task, which means there's no purple dice. Um, it is actually still possible to fail a check if you're not rolling any negative dice because there are a handful of blank face symbols on the positive dice and the negative dice for that matter. <laughs> so because, you know, even, even if even if it's a simple task that has no difficulty, human, we, we, we can still flub. <laughs> <laughs> it mm-hmm. can't happen. Yeah, we were literally just talking about that in the last episode where I, yes, yes. I gave the example of, well, I was walking outside and I tripped on my feet. Like <laughs> Exactly. I mean, it, 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 it can happen. So, so simple things have no difficulty. Then there's different grades. There's literally easy, average, hard, and it just keeps, each one of those is worth an extra purple die. If something's easy, it's one purple die. If it's hard, or if it's average, it's two purple die. Hard is three purple die. You know, uh, and, and a, a check, uh, it's different between Star Wars and Genesis. Um, Genesis, quite frankly, is, is, in my opinion, the most balanced of the narrative dice rule sets. In Genesis, you can never get above five purple dice ever. Okay, ever, period. And that's like, that's, that's the, you know, formidable check. It's, it's insanely difficult. And, and there's great examples in the book often for, even if you get into the individual skills, uh, you know, like, Hey, these are, these are core examples, but 
that's just for stated difficulties. One of the great things I love about this system also is that it handles competitive checks extremely well. A lot of checks, combat being a, a blatant exception, combat is always against set difficulties, which are very clearly lined out in the rulebook is exactly what those difficulties are under what circumstances. But if I'm doing like a stealth check, for example, what's the difficulty? Okay, well, if, if it's someone who's trying to spot me, it's going to be an opposed check. All right. Now, the way other systems might do that is they would have roll-offs. The way mm -hmm. this system handles it is it says, okay, take a look at your opponent or opponents. What's the check that opposes, in our example, stealth? Well, that would be perception. Okay. What is their positive dice pool? Ah, it's a yellow and two greens. Great. Then your difficulty is the inverse. It's a red and two purples. Like, okay. that's it. Super easy. Now, when it comes to base difficulties, where it's just purple dice... Depending on how complicated the situation is and whether there's a chance for serious shenaniganry, the GM may upgrade one or more of those purples to red D12s, which not only have more failure symbols on them, but they also have that dastardly despair symbol, which can lead to those critical failures, right? So that can happen. The book very clearly outlines when you would want to do that as a GM. Additionally, one of the other fun aspects of the system that we haven't talked about is this really cool thing. In Star Wars, they're called destiny points. In Genesis, they're called story points. Okay, mm -hmm. it, is a, it is a special resource pool that both the players and the GM have access to. Now, in Star Wars, what you have is you have, and you start off at the beginning of each session with a specific number of light side destiny points and a, and, and a specific number of dark side destiny points. At any time, any player can spend once per one per turn, a light side destiny point to make something cool happen narratively. It's like, oh yeah, you guys just landed on the planet. Uh, you, you know, it's got a toxic atmosphere. It sucks that you guys don't have breathing masks. Oh, GM, don't you remember? We remembered to buy breathing masks when we were in port last. Flip a light side destiny point, okay? <laughs> oh, yeah, you did. My gosh, that's amazing. Or, you know, it's like, God, you're in this strange town. Well, GM, it's a good thing my cousin lives here and can give us a place to stay. Flip that destiny point, right? There are these ways to make narrative declarations. But another thing you can do with them is that a player can spend them to upgrade their dice. So I can they can turn one of their green D8s into a yellow D12. Now, the dark side destiny points, the GM can do the exact same thing with. So the GM can spend those dark side destiny points to be like, you know what? I'm going to turn this purple D8 into a red D12. And the cool thing is once, I keep saying flip, when you spend one of these destiny points, it becomes the other type. So if a player spends a light side destiny point, the GM now has one more dark side destiny point. Okay. I really like that. I Yeah. And 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 vice versa. And it's it's the same in Genesis. They just call them story points. Okay. Right. And you have player story points and GM story points. So it's this it's this sliding economy to muck with the story. And the players can muck with the story a lot, but then they're giving the GM the ammunition to do the exact same thing. And if the GM puts the players in a bind by really mucking with things and increasing difficulties and upgrading those into red dice, he's giving the player he or she is giving the players more ammunition to then do the same thing. So yeah, that's that's how difficulties. I mean, it's it's very clearly laid out in the books, along with these cool rules to do additions and upgrades and things like that. Okay, now it it has appeared to me, and again, I haven't gotten a chance to to get my hands on the book to to read them yet. But it it sounds almost though like to a certain point you you set the difficulty of a task in a vacuum. In other words, and and we'll we'll go for 
one of Hooli's favorite examples here. Yeah. Let's say we're walking on a tightrope. Okay. So yes. we'll just say walking a tightrope is, uh, we call it two purple dice difficulty. Man, I would I would put it at three because walking on a tightrope is hard to me. But okay. but yeah, we'll we'll, we'll say we'll, we'll say we'll say walking on a tightrope, two purple difficulty. Okay, well three is fine. I'm just you know arbitrarily whatever. So that's the difficulty of walking on a tightrope, whether it's six inches off the ground, sixty feet off the ground, etc. When you're setting up the dice pool to run, then you start with we'll say three purple. Now let's say it's. I guess height doesn't really make it any more difficult, but let's say yeah. it's windy. So would you then add a setback die or would that be upgrading? So setback die represents circumstances. Okay. Typically environmental effects. All right. Now you can, you can have a little fun with this and it, it's intentionally a little vague. So let's talk about height. Okay. I'm sorry. If, if I'm scaling a tightrope that's six feet up, I would keep it at the three difficulty. If it is 60 feet up, meaning that I'm going to die if I fall, okay, um, mm -hmm. I think that represents an extra avenue of complication, don't you? I think it represents an avenue of fear on the player, don't you? As a result, I would probably upgrade one of those purple dice to a red just to represent that increased danger, okay? Mm -hmm. If something goes wrong, in your whether it's real in your mind or real for real, it's going to be a lot more complicated. So you're perfectly within your rights to do that. But let's say it's raining and the tightrope is slippery. Well, that's going to add you a setback die. That's an environmental circumstance. Let's say there's winds that are buffeting you. That's going to add another setback die. Maybe it's pitch black and you're doing this in the dark. That could be one or two setback dice, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe somebody's shooting at you. That might be worthy of an upgrade or you know another setback die. But but typically setback dice are used for environmental. To to put it in D and D parlance, if something would give you a minus one or a minus two on a roll, that would be a setback die. Okay. And now again, going on on what I've heard you and 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 Huli talking about, you also want to be careful upgrading because when you upgrade and in introducing the am I the the red D twelve. That yeah. introduces the chance of a despair, and so yeah. you don't want to do that unless you've got at least an idea in the back of your head of what you can do with that despair if it comes up. Absolutely. Right? You're absolutely correct. And, and, and honestly, if this is not a despair-worthy situation, you should never be introducing reds. Okay, that, that's, that's, that's probably a better way to say it. Is, is there a chance that something could go hilariously wrong here? And if so... It's worthy at that point. You and, and and you know what that is in your head. That that is a despair result. So let's you, at that point consider an upgrade. Okay, to the difficulty and, and and turning one of those purples into a red. Yes, you know it's like uh, it's like you you succeeded, but you rolled a despair. You make it to the other side, but as you do, the tightrope snaps, and the rest of your party's stuck on the other side of the ledge. <laughs> Fair. Or you failed with it. You failed with a despair. You fall. Okay. Whereas maybe failure is just you slip, tumble, and now you're straddling the wire or hanging on by your fingertips, right? Fair. I was trying to think of how, let's say, you're you're on this tightrope, and and we'll just say to to throw in a favorite example of of your co-host. Let's say it's over lava, and so you you fail, and the rope snaps, but you manage to we'll say grab onto the rope, and so you you swing out of the way of the lava. How would you? And I know we're kind of reverse engineering it here, but. What type of role, let's say, would you associate that narrative outcome to? Failure with a triumph is fantastic. Okay. So you failed, but you managed to roll a triumph. So, or a whole bunch of advantage, maybe. 
um, mm-hmm. then okay, wow, you you failed to cross the tightrope, you slipped and fell, but you managed to swing yourself to a nearby cliff ledge, and you're still at the disadvantage. You didn't get to the other side. Maybe you're clinging onto the side of the cl- of the cliff at the other edge, twenty feet down, but you're not in the lava. Okay, right. That could be a good example. Now, I, I was going to say, and and this is something that I've picked up on the system. Now, threat and advantage cancel each other out in the dice pool as do success and failure. But my understanding is that triumph and despair do not cancel each other out. So could that be, again, to go back to our example, that the despair could be the rope breaks. The triumph is you hang on to it and swing out of the way of the lava, even though maybe you failed in the first place. Absolutely. And it's it's up to that narrative control as to how you do it. The thing about triumph and despair is they, they are success and failure symbols on their own. So even though they, they cancel, the other benefit, the actual symbol itself remains. So you can, even, even with cancellation, you can fail with a triumph, you can succeed with a despair. And yeah, the coolest roles are when you have both a triumph and a despair to adjudicate. That's insane. I mean, what other system can you critically succeed and critically fail in both the same role, right? <laughs> and and what are the awful consequences of that happening? I have some interesting stories of times when that's happened. Um, one of them was a very similar one where it was uh, a group of, it was a Star Wars game and they had just stolen an artifact uh, from the security vault of a hut crime lord. And they were, it was a really cool scene where it was, they were jumping onto a train, one of the, a Star Wars train, right? So it's a, a mile up on an energy circuit, right? Um, and they, they were jumping onto the train and we had, we had a player making a leap. Who, he was, it was the last guy too to make it to the train. And he, he made a leap. Destiny points were flying. He spent a destiny point. I spent a destiny point. Um, and so we had, we had dual upgrades flowing. He succeeded on the check with a triumph. Or no, 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 it was failure with a triumph and a despair. And so he failed the check. And I didn't want him to fall to his death, okay? And so what I ended up having him do was he missed the train, but he was able to grab onto the monorail, basically, the structure supporting it. So the train with his compadres has whizzed past at this point, but he's hanging on and is alive. That was how we ended up spending his triumph, all right? His despair was that he was the one with the rucksack who had the artifact they had stolen from the hut. The rucksack falls a kilometer down into the depths of Narshada. Aha. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and, and, that, and that was, you know, that introduced a whole, like, it required a whole new session at that point for them to try and find this thing. Um, it was a lot of fun, yeah. That sounds like it was your, um, the uh, amnesia scenario you run occasionally oh i use i use trains so much they're so great plus star wars has a little bit of a space westerny feel to it at times so you can't you can't have a a, a, that without some type of train (laughs) yeah this is true now i was going to say one of the things where where it really kind of helped crystallize my personal understanding of how the narrative dice work was the um and it was on your podcast feed i don't remember the episode numbers but the this the sessions you ran with the guys from Eberron Renewed where you ran them through your, your amnesia scenario and that, well, I kind of had a basic grasp of it. Somehow listening to the recordings of that really upped my understanding of how the dice work. And I just, you know, wanted to, you know, point anyone else in that direction. If, if you're looking for a good actual play example to listen to those, I forget how many uh, recording (laughs) episodes there were, but 
So there were, and if you if you go to the Order sixty six podcast, these episodes were posted in July and August of two thousand eighteen. There were seven of them, and they're titled Live Play Special Part One, Part Two, Part Three, Part Four, all the way through seven. Um, and the the adventure is called Forgotten. Okay. Uh, another one, I you guys you guys obviously had had uh, DM Eric um, on the podcast, you know, from Eberron Renewed. They mm-hmm. they've transitioned their entire podcast over to Genesis and the Narrative Dice System. Mm-hmm. Which is another great resource to listen to. That's that's on the D twenty Radio Network. Um, additionally, I had the privilege of running a Genesis game for them in a, a setting I'm creating called Dusters and Dragons, mm-hmm. um, which we ran. Um, gosh, it was it was in May of uh, like late April and May of 2020, um, mm-hmm. where we had. Um, and and you can you can go into Eberron Renewed and and the episode titles are Dusters and Dragons chapter one chapter two chapter mm-hmm. three yeah I believe they were part of the intervening stuff between campaign one and campaign two were they not they were they were yes yes yeah I I, I listened to those been listening to to Eric and his crew for a while great show great show they do mm-hmm. it show. is and I would say little birdie told me that you're also an an Eberron nut oh yeah it's my second favorite uh, uh, setting of all time <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm assuming behind Star Wars. Behind Star Wars, yes. I was telling you earlier, you know, I, I played role-playing games all through junior high school, you know, moving from Dungeons & Dragons into the West End Games D6 Star Wars system, which I totally fell in love with. And then, like, in high school, I kind of stepped away for a while, you know, things like, uh, you know, getting laid took priority, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> driving, making money, you know, those those things, you know. And um, it wasn't until I got to college, I was 18, um, you know, I, I would still play on occasion through high school, but it wasn't like it was in when I was when I was much younger. And then in college, I discovered that not only did a ton of people play role playing games, but a lot of them were women, and a lot of them were very cute. And, uh, and I was like, "Well, okay, time to get back to this." And <laughs> at, at that point in time, because I'm I'm only forty, so at, at that point in time in '98, it was the the. Uh, Wizards of the Coast had just introduced the Living Greyhawk campaign setting, and D and D three point five was out, and and it was just full blown radical addiction for me. And so I played really, really, really heavy all through college, and I really just kind of got burnt out on Dungeons and Dragons in general. And then when I was feeling the burn, and I was ready to just hang it up and move to a different system as my primary, they released Eberron, and it was like, oh my god! And then I that led to another four years of intense. Dungeons and Dragons gaming. Yeah. Yeah. I really feel Eberron was such a great shot in the arm for that game. It's, it's yeah. unreal. Yeah. I, I, I love Eberron. Well, we both do. Yeah. You know, it's kind of one of the things that as much as in a lot of ways, I'm not a big fantasy fan. Eberron is, is, is the thing that, that kind of brings, brings me back around towards D and D. Yeah. It's, it's always been a, a multi-genre binder for a lot of folks yeah so in any case we we went off down one of our classic me and steve rabbit holes here but uh to kind of bring it back around you've described a lot of the really strong points of the genesis or the narrative dice system are there any things you think it doesn't do well or is it is it really a pretty strong system overall you know i know a lot of your your call it generic system systems designed without a, a core setting in mind often struggle at a given aspect of a different genre. We'll say, does, does Genesis have any, anything that in your opinion or experience it doesn't do well, or is it pretty good all the way around? 
Genesis less so than Star Wars. Um, I think I think some of the some of the hiccups that happen in in deep play with Star Wars are were, were really kind of resolved in Genesis to a large degree in terms of the core mechanic. The, the things I have are not really drawbacks. They're just features of the system that some players don't like because it's not how they like to play. Okay. Mm-hmm. If if you if you cut your teeth on a tactical system like pretty much any D twenty system like Dungeons and Dragons. This is a system that has abstract ranges and abstract movement. You're not, you, you don't need a map and minis to play. You're not counting squares. A lot of players don't like that. They enjoy the tactical grid nature of Dungeons and Dragons. You know, uh, for, for, for people like me that learn to play with, without maps and minis, it's not that big of a deal for me. And I find it a little more freeing. And you can play with maps and minis. It's just, you, you have to take care regarding the abstract ranges in terms of defining things at a, at a, at an early, at an early stage um, Mm -hmm. when you're using a map. One of the things that gets hinky with star Wars, the star Wars system is again, I'm talking deep play. If you're having an encounter or two, it's going to be fine. Space combat. (laughs) Space (laughs) combat is, is very, um, you know, for, for such a, for like, like I said earlier, the system in play is very creamy. Okay. It's very smooth. Space combat is very crunchy in Star Wars. Okay. And it 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 uses a lot of it has a lot of rule decisions that I I understand why they did it because it stays very true to the intellectual property. But it, it it's almost like you have in many ways a very separate system for space combat. Okay. Um and I, I'm not I'm not too big of a fan of that. Whereas Genesis, however, I think solved a lot of those problems with its optional space combat rules and piloting that that took a lot of those hinks away. Uh mm-hmm. so on the whole, yeah, the, 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 other, the other things that, again, these aren't problems with the systems. They're, they're features of the system. And they're, they're, always co- they're always presented as problems by players who have cut their teeth on Dungeons & Dragons or other systems. Like, you have to understand that a role, when you make a role in narrative dice, it's a monolithic role. It's not intended to be discrete. D20 systems are very discrete. I swing my sword, roll the die. I search this five-foot square, roll the die. I search this five-foot square, roll the die. You follow me? You, you, you're rolling for every single discrete action you undertake. When you make a roll in Genesis or Fantasy Flight Star Wars, it's a monolithic roll. If it's even if it's an attack roll, it represents that like and the book calls this out. That one roll represents multiple shots you're taking, multiple swings with your lightsaber. Okay, um, mm-hmm. you know a a a a full few seconds of combat that you're you know pow 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 blank 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 blank. And as a result, it's like that for every roll. If, I, if I'm if i rolling a perception check to search for traps, I'm not searching a five-foot area or even a 10-foot area. I should be, that check should cover the room, okay, or the hallway, all of it. And so it, it, it's very monolithic. And when you have new players and new GMs who come to the system, because it's how they were weaned, they still treat basic rolling of regardless of the difference in mechanics discreetly and that just slows everything down another thing too is your average encounter lasts three rounds in either one of these systems and that's how long it should last it should never go longer than that you know it, it is it is very it, it, it can be a very lethal system mm-hmm. you you don't you don't get uh, to to borrow D parlance a bunch of hit points every time you level there isn't even any leveling you know, you, you're as tough or as, as wary or as, you know, 
as, as you are. And yes, that can increase through certain talents you can take, but you're still relatively where you are. I find that to be a benefit of this, this system. You can take a, a, a beginner character with zero earned XP and throw them into a party with characters that have 150 or 200 earned XP, in which case you're talking you know, 30 to 40 hours of session play under their belt. And that new character can still hold their own. It, you don't okay. have this power. You don't have this power gap like you would if I took a level one D and D character and put him into a party of level sevens, where where they're 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 squishy and useless. It's not like that in these systems. Yeah, that sounds really cool. That that aspect of it in particular, you know, where you can bring someone new in without going, okay, now you have to learn to play this character. It, you know, it, again to put it in D and D terms, now you have to learn to play a level eight character when you've never played before, and you know, at level eight, you've got this thing and that thing and this other thing and, and three more things to watch. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you really don't have that level of disparity. You don't. The only, the only real disparity between experienced versus non-experienced characters typically comes in the gear. And in Star Wars, it comes to the gear they have because they've, they've, they've been earned more money. They've bought more powerful weaponry and things like that. That's an easy fix for the GM. The GM can be like, guess what? You have this awesome rifle. <laughs> Mr. Mrs. Beginner character. Here you go. You have this awful, mm -hmm. awesome rifle now. And it doesn't matter that you only have three talents while your compatriots have ten. You know, you're still learning the game, but you're still going to be able to hold your own. Now, yeah. one other thing, and, and I think you've kind of touched on this a little bit, but I've noticed a trend in a lot of newer games, be it explicitly stated or, or kind of not explicitly stated that and I know a lot of people do not play D&D &D this way in that you kind of assume competency on the part of the players. You know, it's one of the core premises of, of like the gumshoe system, but it's it's mentioned explicitly in like Delta Green, where if failure isn't interesting, just assume that the player character can do mundane thing. You know, you don't have to roll yeah. to open the door to leave your own house. And I know that's kind of getting a little bit facetious on the example but you know is genesis also a game that encourages only rolling when failure is interesting yeah, yes absolutely and that that is explicitly stated in the rules for both star wars and genesis and quite frankly even if it's not explicitly stated that's how you should be running every rpg that's it's it's ridiculous i don't know why games or gamers do it that way but they shouldn't be <laughs> it's like it's like dice rolling should only happen when there is an interesting not even if there's a chance of failure i'm sorry i mean listen i mean on the conservative side you say only roll when there's a chance for failure sure i say only roll when failure would be interesting when mm -hmm. it's going to have cons are there cons are there consequences for failure that's fair if no if no then why are you having them roll yeah i like that like i said i, I i've wanted to kind of get into this and i actually have an idea that i'm contemplating trying to make fit into genesis but it's going to require a little bit of tomfoolery to to make it do and, and possibly kind of fiddling with vehicle rules just because i well i'll throw it out there i would really like and i've not seen a game out there for it but let's envision playing like well the the, the elevator name pitch name for it would be the dukes of leverage which kind of a, a mashup of like dukes of hazard Smokey and the bandit the a team and leverage and i think genesis would handle it incredibly well but i want the vehicles to play more of a, a significant role than they do <laughs> in most rpgs where okay your vehicle has these stats and 
every other vehicle that looks like it does where, you know, the general Lee has a different set of stats than, than someone else's muscle car. Yeah. Um, interestingly, I, I think Genesis can handle that extremely well with, with Genesis there, there, because Genesis is like gumshoe or GURPS or anything else, it's a generic toolkit, right? Mm -hmm. The, they haven't called out those specific things, but if you get into intellectual property and, and unfortunately the intellectual property specifics that have come out for Genesis, and I'm looking specifically at the world of Android, which they came out with shadow of the beanstalk to do, um, the mm -hmm. world of, of, of Terranoth, which they came out with realms of Terranoth to do right those settings that type of vehicular use isn't isn't a call out but it is in star wars and if you get into some of the books in star wars like look there's stats for a corellian yt 1300 okay mm -hmm. and every corellian yt 1300 ship has those stats but there are also stats for the millennium falcon and they are not the same as a corellian yt 1300 okay <laughs> because it's the millennium falcon Okay, um, they do that all throughout Star Wars. In fact, we just recently on the Order sixty six podcast uh, discussed one of the newer books that came out, uh, which was actually a, a book called Gadgets and Gear, and it was all about, coincidentally enough, gadgets and gear, and uh, <laughs> um, it's it's an equipment compendium. But they they even took that that into the realm of equipment, where it's like, hey, this is a this is a bowcaster. We've had these 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 stats in the book, and all bowcasters share them for eight years and 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 these this is the weapon of the wookies oh by the way this in this book is chewbacca's bowcaster it's different and here's what it can do differently and oh by the way that difference is available for anyone who uses it and oh by the way when chewbacca uses it here's an extra special thing that chewbacca specifically gets uh, I mean, Chewbacca's bowcaster, Han's DL-44 blaster pistol, Vader's saber, Luke's saber, Ben Kenobi's saber. The best part of the entire book was Lando Calrissian's cape armoire. <laughs> oh. <laughs> where, where, where literally it's like, yeah, these are the stats for a cape and we've got these stats in all the books. Oh, yeah, by the way, Lando Calrissian's capes. They're even better capes. And let's talk, I mean, like, yeah, yeah, the system supports that exceptionally well. Okay, so it sounds like I just need to do a little more diving as opposed to thinking about it. <laughs> well, you, you know what it is. When you're creating something new, beg, borrow, and steal. Because if you can do something off of play-tested mechanics, always do that. Mm -hmm. Well, that's I had actually kind of dabbled. I was, I was going to try and write it, and I came up with a dice mechanic that I think would do what I wanted to, but... I, part of me doesn't want to be bothered to write a whole system from the ground up. No, you can, you can, and, and dude, off, off offline, I would love to work with you on it, man. Or at least, <laughs> at least, at least proofreader, proofreader playtest for you, man. All right. Well, I'll have to get working on that. I've been privileged to have, to have written a lot of, a lot of fan stuff for the system and created a lot of stuff. I've learned a lot of painful lessons. Mm-hmm. And uh, dude, I'd be happy to give you my thoughts on the matter mm -hmm. if they no, thank you. if they're worth anything. I'll I'll give them. Okay, now that is something I guess maybe to to start wrapping this up a little bit because because we're getting into the neighborhoods of the time. Uh, unless you have more you want to get into, I know you have you know your your Forge podcast, which is dedicated to the Genesis Foundry. Which to put it again in D and D terms is is that essentially the same as the well-known dungeon masters guild for D and D effectively just for the yeah. Genesis system. Yeah, that's precisely what it is. So shortly before fantasy flight games ended production of role-playing games in early 2020 and transitioned all that over to one of Asmodee's other properties, edge studios who now owns Genesis and star Wars and all that, and are continuing to produce for it the same games. 
they they created the, the the Genesis Foundry, which yeah, it's just it's just it's just a subsection of drive through RPG, and so fans and and amateur writers can go in and create their own content, just like the DMs Guild for D anD D. They can go in and create their own Genesis content. They can publish their own stuff, and they, literally, I mean, I mean, people can buy it through drive through RPG, Fantasy Flight, now Edge takes their cut. You get the rest. And and that's mm-hmm. that's really that's really what it comes down to in terms of so yeah um there there's a very specific set of rules you can do and you know the Forge podcast it's about Genesis overall I mean honestly we 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 want to try and encourage people to write for this game and so and so that is a primary focus but yeah the cast is about the Genesis system in general but um yeah and and we've been privileged to um we we are privileged to ha- have friendships with the the vast majority of of designers and developers um either working full-time professionals for formerly FFG and now for Edge Studios um as well as a very large number of the freelancers who have contributed the nuts and bolts to um uh to these systems and you know we we get them on the show all the time we we talk about everything from how to design stuff when you're writing your own things to how core rules work for your average player to how how to play test properly how to how to do graphic design how to i mean you know uh you know stuff like that yeah yeah i, I specifically i remember the the graphic design episode that you guys did and i was listening to it going old you know what this this may be geared toward the foundry but this really applies to anyone who Everything. who wants to write you know Everything. rpg that, material that, that episode that episode opened my eyes. I mean, like we we had we had Katrina uh, Ostrander Lee, who still works for FFG. She's held multiple positions there, but she's now uh, one of their uh, one of their story group managers. And uh, yeah, the, the the moment the moment she said, "Why are people still producing things in an eight and a half by eleven or an A four format when we're talking about digital content?" Because your screens are not that size. Why are people not producing content in a landscape mode? My brain just went. <laughs> yeah and it was like oh my gosh i remember that specific conversation and and the same thing hitting you know going because i'm one of those people i actually i really struggle to read gaming pdfs or whatever even on a computer screen much less you know a phone or a tablet it's just hard for me i i i like having an actual book and some of that probably is strictly formatting where you know, like the, the best way I can do it most of the time is, is to zoom in on a column and then move the page sideways to read the second column. And, yep. and you know, what she was saying is that, look, just design your digital document to be read by digital means. Yeah. It's, it's we're we're, we are consuming something in two different channels and it's designed for a physical channel, not a, not a digital channel. So for Pete's sake, design it for a digital channel. What, why, you know, people, why, why do game producers use a tiny font and cram all these words on the page? Because it's more, it's less expensive. It has to do with page count. If you're talking about a digital asset, you are not limited to that. My, my gosh, if it's easier to read a 16 point font, do it. Okay. Mm-hmm. If it's easier to organize, you know, on a digital page, do it. You know, I mean, yeah, there's nothing stopping you. And people, you still, it's just, it's just how the design industry is has does things, and so it's how people still do things. Yeah, there's so many avenues of ways to make things easier. So many avenues. Now, you you touched on it briefly there. Do you want to kind of fill the general public in a little bit on the? The FFG as Modi Edge deal because I know there was a lot of panic in in some yeah. of the less dedicated segments of the RPG community that 
oh my god, FG shutting down role playing games. What does that mean for for Star Wars and Legend of the Five Rings and etc. And and then you know it didn't get as widely pub publicized that Edge picked it all up, but it kind of known. But a lot of people don't understand what that means. And I know you're connected enough to to be able to fill some people in as to what the reality of the situation is. Yeah, sure. I mean, the the reality is life. People report bad news. Nobody reports good news, right? Because because good news doesn't get clicks. Um, <laughs> so it, it, it was doom and gloom. There were a lot of people that were worried for a while. The bottom line is you got to understand that Fantasy Flight Games, the company that was originally owned by Christian Peterson, that became what we know as Fantasy Flight, the 800-pound gorilla that it is, was purchased many years ago by a very large gaming conglomerate called Asmodee. Okay? Asmodee owns a lot of gaming companies. Okay? It's all Asmodee. All right? <laughs> all of it. Mm -hmm. and, and, and even before all this happened, Asmodee had owned FFG for years. Okay? Mm -hmm. Well, when with COVID... And several other things. If you're a, if you're, I mean, and if <laughs> if you own a bunch of gaming companies, you're going to do whatever you can to reduce cost, okay, and consolidate. And Asmodee made the decision that they were going to move all RPG, all RPG production among all the companies they owned, including Fantasy Flight Games, to one of their owned studios. And that studio is a studio that's actually based out of France and Spain called Edge. Uh, it used to be called Edge Entertainment. They rechristened to Edge Studios. Edge Entertainment was one of Asmodee's companies that was, they're, they're incredible, actually. People who've worked with them, they're like, they're, they're hardcore gamers. They're dyed in the wool. It's a great company. They, they actually, on their own, produced and released a phenomenal game in Europe. And then they licensed it through FFG for release when it was released uh, called The End of the World. I don't know if you guys have heard that. Um, no, I've not heard of that one. If you if you haven't, you have to pick it up. There's four different books, each dealing with like they're all all different types of post apocalyptic scenarios. But it's a role playing game where you play as yourself. Like the 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 first ten minutes of the game is you creating yourself. Okay, and the game starts with where you are right now, real time in the world, meaning that you know. I, I, realistically we're all sitting around the game table playing on rpgs as ourselves when the end of the world happens okay you know what i have i have seen this game on shelves i never even looked at it it <laughs> is phenomenal it's absolutely phenomenal so you you've got to i mean and literally like as you're creating your character like the things you have like your equipment is literally the equipment you have on you right now like great you have a cell phone please note what its charge is right now okay I mean, like, mm. like, it, it, dude, it's a fantastic game. You have to play it. It's it, absolutely incredible. Oh, that sounds awesome as hell. It, it's, <laughs> it's, it's great. If you want to add something to your list or do a review on it, it's great. Okay. So that's Edge. Edge, Edge did that. And furthermore, they also handled all of the translations and distribution of, of Fantasy Flight's RPGs, Genesis, Star Wars, Legend of the Five Rings into European languages and European markets. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what what Asmodee did is they said, look, we're just going to roll everything up under edge. OK, and it was doom and gloom for a while. And, and you know, people were like, oh, my God, FFG is not producing RPGs anymore. They literally let go the entire RPG staff. And it was only it was only a handful of people. But these are good people. They're friends of mine. OK. And, you know, everyone, it was all just like doom and gloom. It was it was craziness. And it took time. And COVID certainly didn't make things any better. But 
what happened is that the announcement of FFG is no longer producing RPGs came out in like February of 2020. People were let go. And then it took a few months before Asmodee said, okay, guys, all the RPGs, we're not getting rid of them. We're not selling them. They're all going to be produced by Edge. And Edge made an announcement. They still have not announced any new products that are coming from an RPG standpoint. And most industry pundits believe that as they're still getting themselves organized and getting things written, that we're not going to see anything until 2021. But we do know publicly that Edge rehired, obviously he's still an employee of Asmodee. Again, they rehired Sam Gregor Stewart, who is was the RPG manager at Fantasy Flight Games, a, a very good friend as well, um, and has been on Order 66 and The Forge numerous times. To, to oversee the RPG division. Um, and they've made several other few rehires as well. Um, additionally, as of yesterday, two of the freelancers that did a fair number of work for FFG on Star Wars and Genesis products, Keith Ryan Kappel, as well as my co-host on Order 66, GM Phil Majewski, publicly announced that they are now in the employ of Edge Studios, uh, presumably doing freelance work for a new project. So... It's blowing and it's going, and and they are they are producing. So the RPGs themselves are fine; they're not going anywhere. They're going to continue to make new content. And what's crazy is that the same people who made the content before are pretty much the same people who are going to be making the content now. It's just business, you know. Okay, honestly, and I think probably part of what contributed to the overall panic to it is is like you said the the FFG layoffs and whatever happened right before COVID kind of hit big in the U S and then yeah. the intervening months is when the world blew up in our terms here in the U S anyway. And so I think that probably contributed a little bit to the panic or despair over the whole situation. Cause we're like, well, everything else is blowing up and now just game companies. Blah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what are we going to do? Yeah. And I mean, like, okay, you know, Star Wars, obviously the IP is big enough. It's going to have a game. It's It's been established enough in the RPG space, but, you know, Genesis, and that was when I was first kind of falling down the hole with it and, and listening to the, some of the things. And I'm going, of course, you know, the instant I find something and think it could be interesting, now maybe it's going away. And I'm like, well, <laughs> that's no good. Well, it's, it's, it's no good. And I'm I'm at a point in my life... I'm 40. I have a daughter. I have uh, I have a very time-consuming job and career. I only have the headspace for one complex role-playing system at this point in my life. Okay. Mm-hmm. I will. I, I can throw down multiple editions of D and D. I can throw down prior editions of Star Wars. I can throw down Savage Worlds. I can get into Fate. I can get. I can. I throw all this stuff down. But when it comes to what I really devote my energy in terms to understanding the minutia of a game, I only have the brain space for one real system at this point. Okay. And I like the narrative system. It's what I want to play. So, so Genesis opens up all these great possibilities that I'm I'm absolutely fascinated with. That's also another reason why, because I'm an RPG nut and a bit of a neophile. I also am a huge fan of one-page RPGs because it's it's one of those things I don't... It's like, ooh, something new and fun. I don't have to devote brain space to it. It's just, it's there. There's the rules. They're on one page. Great. <laughs> yeah, a lot of them are are rather... Well, and, and by their very nature, there's, there's not a lot there. They're intended more for a... Okay, you know, two people couldn't show up this week, so uh, let's do something else and hear this. Yes. So I guess, Steve, did you have any more questions regarding the narrative dice? No, I'm, I'm very 
thoroughly pleased with the answers we've received. So, well, I I have a question. Okay. When can I come back onto your show to run a live play of Genesis or Star Wars for you two and maybe one or two other people? Uh, 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 um. Yeah. Well, you tell <laughs> us the date that you're free, and uh, we'll. We'll work with that because <laughs> it's 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 breaking my heart. You guys are like, I really want to get into this. I'm like, and I'm over here like, I'll get you into it. I'll get you into it right now. <laughs> I, I I'm more than happy to to do something like that. Yeah, we'll have to 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 coordinate something. You know, be it through Discord or Messenger or, or whatever, and we can we can. No, please, that would be that would be a lot of fun. I would love to do that if you guys. I don't know. I don't know if you even do. I mean, you guys are what eight eight. I mean, by the time this episode comes out, you guys will be what ten episodes in. I think this will be our eleventh episode. Yes, our eleventh episodes. So I don't know. You guys, I don't think you guys have done any live play. Did you ever have any desire to do live play or actual play on your show? We've talked about it. We we do we do have the interest in doing live plays in the future, and that is something we want to sort of try. It's not something we want to make the whole podcast a focus on. We really. I find more content out of discussing and, and giving the tips and tricks rather than doing live plays, but would love to actually do one and be in one and, and participate. Yeah. Awesome sauce. Well, I'm, I'm down. Let's, let's, let's get it organized. We'll have to figure something out. So in any case, slightly moving back on track, I suppose. Uh, and you alluded to this a little bit, you know, you like your, your one page RPGs. Well, we have a thing that we, we do every episode where we pick uh, what we call our game of the week. And that's where we just kind of pick something that, that we've been interested in and haven't got a chance to play or maybe played years ago and, you know, would like to get back on the table just as a, as a way to, to put it out there for more people to find. And like I said, we call this game of the week. And if you'd like to play along, you're more than, more than happy to have you do so. I'm down like a clown, man. Let's do it. All right. So with that, I guess it's time for game of the week. Game of the week. Game of the week. And who 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 wants to go first this week? Steve, Steve, have at it. All right, so we're we're doing this remotely. You want to do rock paper scissors or how do you? <laughs> okay, I'll pick. Uh, Steve, you go. <laughs> All right. All right. You want to kick this off, Steve? <laughs> All right. Yeah, I think uh, this week I'm I'm going to go, and this is a game that, that actually has been out for quite a long time, although I don't think it's been in English extremely long. You know, it's been a few years, and this is um, Mutant Year Zero from Free League or Free Ligon, however you, you wish to wish to refer to them. They're a Swedish publisher that's really been making some noise lately, and it's, it's a post-apocalyptic wasteland setting. Think in my mind, it brings up images of, of kind of like the tank girl world and, and some stuff like that, but with some more freaky, nasty stuff, but it's, it's actually a really cool game. The, the mechanics are, are pretty simple. It's not mutation in, you know, a full on X-Men level thing, but it is, it's geared around kind of exploring what they call zones, you know, exploring the world around the little, what they call arcs where your communities live. And, uh, I've heard a lot of really good things about it and it's something I'd like to play. Although the one that you mentioned a little bit ago there, Chris, the end of the world also sounds extremely interesting. So, uh, for me this week, I think it's going to be mutant year zero. Dude, I've never played it. I've seen it played. I was actually at a con watch. I watched it for about 15 minutes 
mm-hmm. and it, about maybe four or five years ago, four or five years ago. And yeah, I'd love, I'd love to get that on the table too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've been, I've been working on reading the, uh, well, they call it the starter booklet. It's basically their quick start. So that, that's my pick for this week. I think only being fair, since we have a guest, you can go ahead and go next if you'd like, or I can go. It's up to you. Oh, go ahead, please. This is your house, man. I'm just, I'm just here. Go ahead. Tell me, talk to me. All right. So the game I actually picked is a powered by the apocalypse game. It's called fist just sort of bringing it up on drive through. It is a, the way they're describing it is it's a metal gear solid inspired game, which sounds awesome. Uh, paranormal mercenaries, brutal action and tactical operations, cold war espionage missions. You're talking about spies and guns and all of the fun things of like, like a Tom Clancy novel. It almost sounds like awesome. It, it, it you know, and it being powered by the apocalypse, another really easy system to grab a hold of and and get started in but yeah it seems like a really just a simple you know five dollar pdf on drive through i did a little bit of digging and found it and just want to give that one a shout out so okay i'm 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 sorry but you have to give me a little more information here because i'm not finding this and i need to find this so it's fist f-i-s-t from b everett dalton e-v-e-r-e-t-t D-U-L-T-O-N. Like I said, it's $4.99 on drive-thru, so I'm I'm not sure. It's just a PDF. And obviously, any of these games, any of these games will be linked in the show notes as well. Yeah, because that, that sounds really interesting. But when I type in Fist, it comes up with a whole bunch of stuff, but nothing that looks like that. And there you go. Oh, yeah. oh, that looks really cool. Yeah. And all of the art is sort of expanded uh, schematic. All of the art that they're showing off is expanded schematics of you know, whether it be grenades or guns or whatever you have it, it's it's sort of that like expanded multi-piece. Like the exploded engineering drawings. Yeah, yeah. But that's mine. All right. Well, that leaves our guest then. Man, see, I want you guys to go first because I'm having trouble picking. <laughs> <laughs> well, we do this to each other all the time. And I think that's half of our, our, our who goes first thing is, is going, okay, who has a better idea? We tend to surprise each other with this. Yeah, where sometimes it's literally just, all right, I got one that I don't want you to know which one I have because I want <laughs> I want you to be like, oh, man, I wish I'd have found that one. <laughs> That's fantastic. Okay, so I think I've picked mine then. All right. So another another one of my RPG heroes um, is a fellow by the name of Greg Stoltze. Okay. Um, he created the one. He created the one roll engine. He's written for bootleggers and Talislana and a bunch of other stuff. Um, he has a free game that's available from his website. It's he, he released it a very long time ago, and it's called In Space. Aha! Um, and um, I'll send you the link as well, so you can include it in the show notes because it's obviously a, a free game from his website, so it's not available on Drive RPG. But what what I love most about it is it's far future, but like if if I had to give it a, a an intellectual property that it's trying to mirror, it would definitely be Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Okay, uh-huh. that's that's the vibe it's going for. But what I really love about it is that it's a diceless system, and it uses a resolution mechanic that he created, a system he created called the token effort system, where the idea is that the players have a bunch of tokens and the GM has some tokens, and if there's a conflict about what happens in the story and how something narrates out, whether it's a scene or a uh, you know a combat or anything else like that the the player and the gm do secret bidding and whoever bids the most tokens has their version of events uh play out 
all right but then you lose tokens based on the on what happens so it's kind of that again almost like destiny points and story points you're you're as you if you, as as you get the chance to narrate out successfully what happens you're given the gm the ability to screw you over later and vice versa okay uh-huh. um, because uh, so the, the player can gain more tokens, and then you know it's very rules light system. You have a couple of of capabilities or attributes that, in essence, give you ghost tokens. So they're like free tokens that you can bid that you don't actually have to have, and you don't lose if you bid. If that makes sense. So if you're a really good hacker or something like that, but it's all it's all incredibly tongue in cheek and hilarious and. I've been wanting to get this on the table for years, and I have yet to get it on the table. It's a riot just to read. It'll have you spitting your drink out laughing. Uh, it's, I mean, dude, it's, 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 it's absolutely, absolutely fantastic. Uh, he's, he's, he's even got, um, as I'm pulling the game up right now, there's even like a glossary of how things work in the future. Um, <laughs> and it, it, de- it details all, all, kinds of things about the the galaxy of the future like fiesel the fraternal order of evil space lawyers um <laughs> uh, yeah that's that's uh very douglas adams that's... right you know but th- that's 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 the vibe that we're we're going for here and you know he's it, got this whole glossary of of things about the future um you know from from psychic capability to robosexuality uh, you know, m- you know, like like machine consciousness. You know, and there's these these huge sections he's written on all of them, and then it gets to the section of faster than light travel, and it just says, "Yep." <laughs> <laughs> you know, a- you know, anti-Buddhist brain prints. Uh, you know, robotic pimp monks from the Horsehead Nebula. Like it's it's fana- it's it's fantastic. You should read it and get it on the table, like I wish to. Oh, that that sounds that sounds rich. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Well, then I guess the other thing that, that I guess we should ask you, although we've referred to a lot of it, where can f- people find you and your stuff out there on the internet? Well, d20radio.com is the best place. That's that, that that's that's really it. Um, you know, I, I've been I'm I'm fortunate to be uh, a, a part of a very large. We've got roughly roughly twenty shows um, affiliated uh, podcast network. It's all about gaming and geekery podcasts uh, called D20 Radio, and it's been around for about thirteen years. And there's some great shows. Uh, Eberron Renewed is obviously a part of it, as well as the other Geek Pantheon shows. Um, and 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 ultimately, uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of great stuff there. And uh, you guys can uh, find one of the more entertaining gaming blogs uh, out there with some really great staff writers, um, as well as, of course, uh, links to a ton of podcasts. Uh, we also have a phenomenal um, online community. We got a we got a pop in Discord server for D20 Radio and a really great Facebook group as well. Excellent, excellent. You know, I know I mentioned it before, but you have your Order 66 podcast, the Forge podcast, which are all part of that network, correct? Yeah. And you guys can find it. Just go to d20radio.com, go to the podcast page. You can find links to the feeds and everything else for those shows, as well as a bunch of other great shows. Excellent. Excellent. So, yeah, I think I actually kind of became aware of you through that, you know, through initially, the, 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 as we mentioned, Eberron Renewed and then Rabbit Hole from there. I think with that, let's go ahead and wrap up the episode. We want to. Th- Thank everyone for listening. We want to thank you for coming on our podcast and being a guest here and and discussing the narrative dice and and Genesis and Star Wars RPG. And we want to remind everyone to be kind to one another and get out there and play some games. (laughs) Excellent. Excellent. It's been a real pleasure, guys. Thank you for having me. I really do appreciate it. And uh, to everyone listening, peace, love, and good gaming. As Steve said, be kind to each other. Go play some RPG. 
intro and outro music by the band 12 Noon. You can email us at meandsteverpg at gmail.com. You can also find us at facebook.com slash meandsteverpg. Thank you and be kind to each other. How much for the cigar? Cigar, 20 bucks, dog. You got to go down the street to the store and buy that. Someone going about movies. You mean there are other movies other than Fast and the Furious? <laughs> <laughs> what about Vin Diesel? Wait, wait. Do those other movies have Vin Diesel? That's <laughs>